just want to spend a short time with you in God's Word today. We've been, uh, as a church family, going through the book of Acts, and uh, today we're in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read our uh, passage, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Against the Lord's disciples. Keep in mind, this is the same Saul that uh, was all on board with the, the martyrdom, the persecution, the killing of those following the way of Jesus. And so he went to the high priest and asked, them, uh, asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. And they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered him. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus named Saul, for he has prayed. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Heavenly Father, we trust in the Holy Spirit. Illuminate uh, this scripture. Illuminate our hearts. Uh, We trust for understanding, wisdom, discernment, all of it, Lord. And we praise you for the power of the resurrection. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, I told you guys last week, uh, last week and then today, uh, we're going to be examining a couple invitations that we see in the book of Acts. And uh, just real quickly, today's invitation uh, falls, there's only a couple people in the story, so it's pretty obvious. I want us to just real quickly look at an invitation that was extended to, to Saul. And I, I want us to look at an invitation extended to Ananias. And the first invitation... Uh, that's extended to Saul, is for him to have an encounter with Jesus. Have an encounter with Jesus. And we see this uh, because Saul's background, he was uh, learned. 
He was, uh, like I said, well-educated. He had the posterity and the people around him. He was in the upper echelon of Jewish society. And uh, the way of Jesus was contrary um, to, to the way of, of Judaism. There was a lot of uh, moving and merging together. And then Jesus said, I am the Messiah that you are waiting on. And uh, the, the people of Israel, the Jews, said, no, this can't be it. This isn't what we were expecting. And so they, they persecuted him. They did all the stuff uh, unbeknownst to them to fulfill God's plan of uh, reconciliation through the work of the cross. But Saul was in direct opposition to the way of God. And not only was he in direct opposition to the way of God, but he was, he was actively like persecuting. He, he was throwing people following Jesus in jail. He was, he was torturing them. He was putting them to death, all because their view of the Messiah, their view of the Savior was different than his. He was going about his, his own merry way, choosing to believe what he wanted to believe about who God said he was. And then he lived his life accordingly. But all of that changes in a moment. All of that changes in a moment when Saul has an interaction with Jesus. And this isn't any Jesus that he hears, but keep in mind, the book of Acts is written post-resurrection, post-ascension. This is a risen Jesus that he has an interaction with. And what I love about this interaction that, that, that Saul has with the risen Jesus is there is not in the voice of Jesus an ounce of condemnation. There is not an ounce of guilt. There is not an ounce of like laying on the shame or the guilt trip so that Saul will feel bad for the things that he, have been, he has been doing. It's just, it's just a simple confrontation. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Now, this might give us pause a little bit because uh, Saul wasn't by nature persecuting uh, Jesus. Jesus is risen from the dead and has ascended back to heaven uh, with the Father. But I think for those of us who are, who are uh, committed to following the way of Jesus, it's a beautiful picture for us that Jesus feels so intimately connected with us that when we hurt, he hurts. And so Saul has this interaction with him, and his life is forever changed because he has an encounter with Jesus. And here's my hope for us today. My hope for us today is for us to have an encounter with the risen Jesus. It would be really easy for me in the place that I sit. There's a lot of power in the pulpit. You guys are, I mean, everyone's being respectful. It's kind of a captive audience, and I can kind of say whatever. Uh, and sometimes that's gotten me into trouble. But um, uh, you guys are listening so intently. My goal today, though, is not to craft some sort of clever argument. I think those are good. I think, I think the work of apologetics and like uh, understanding and going back and forth, and, and, but, but arguing people into trusting Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, that's not my goal today. Because if I, just, if I just win you over with a clever argument and say, trust in Jesus with all of your heart, 
I'm not the most clever of people. And so somewhere along the way, there's going to be a, maybe a cleverer argument that's going to take you in a different direction. My, I, I, I can't win that battle, but what I can do is offer you an invitation to have an encounter with Jesus. There's all sorts of stories in the New Testament of people who have this very same interaction, that they, they are going about their life, and they have an encounter with Jesus, and their life is forever changed. I think of the, I think of the guy who was blind, very similar to Saul here. And he was blind, and he was going about his merry business, and Jesus comes up and he heals him. And uh, he goes away, and he's rejoicing, and he's happy. And then all these religious leaders that are, like, uh, again, opposed to the way of Jesus and trying to fight against it, they're like, what happened to you? What did he say? What, what did he go? And they're trying to, to catch Jesus in some sort of, again, uh, logical trap and trying to argue him out of something. And the response of the blind man is, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't understand it. All I know was that I was blind and now I see. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you can't piece together all of the, you can't logic out the Christian faith. (laughs) And you were in the same boat. There's a lot of questions that I have. There's a lot of questions where I go, I don't know the meaning of X, Y, or Z. Why does this happen? Why do bad things happen? And I'm like, I don't know. And anyone, anyone that is telling you they can logic out life in general that says this is how everything makes sense are selling you a false bill of sale. There's no thing we can do to go, now I can logically piece together everything in my life and have it all just make perfect and complete sense. You will never be able to have that. But what you can have is an encounter with our risen Savior, Jesus. That your life comes face to face with his and you go, listen, I don't understand all of this, but I understand that uh, once I was this way before and I'm this way after. And uh, for anyone who's watched The Chosen, I love how they portrayed uh, Mary Magdalene. Uh, I think it's in the first season. And uh, her life was radically like woman of the night, uh, possessed by demons, all of this stuff, like this this terrible stuff going on in her life. And uh, then Jesus, she has this encounter in the first episode uh, with Jesus. And then all of these religious leaders, again, are questioning her, saying, what happened? And she's like, listen, I don't understand what happened. All I know was there was a before me, and there's a new me that's the after me, and the thing in between was Jesus. And so if you're here this morning, and your life's a mess, and you're like, I don't understand it. Why are these terrible things happening to me? Why does it feel like I can't ever get a grasp? It feels like the world is uh, just flying past me at at a more rapid rate. You feel like you're in Pac-Man at one of the later levels, and there's just like ghosts popping in everywhere, and you're going all over the place, and things just seem hectic and crazy, and you can't piece it together. You can have an encounter with with the risen Savior this morning. Now, now I want to be be clear this morning because I'm not asking you to have an encounter with Connection Church. 
I'm not asking you to have an encounter with the corporate church. I'm not asking you to have an encounter with religion. I'm not asking you to have an encounter with Jesus followers. I'm not asking you to have an encounter with religious rules that you feel like exist. I'm not asking you to have an encounter with the Bible. I am asking you to have an encounter with Jesus who was put to death for your sins and raised back to life, defeating sin and guilt and death forever. Those other things are good things. Church, Jesus followers, Connection Church. I'm, I'm partial to us. I feel like we're decent people. But we're not ultimate things. Colossians talks about how Jesus is preeminent over all creation. He rules and he reigns. He had an active hand and participated in creation, breathing the life that we know into existence. And that same God put on skin and bones, came and lived life on earth, sacrificed himself for us, and was raised back to life. And that Jesus this morning is going, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You're burnt out on religion, trying to figure things out on your own. Come to me. And you might feel a little bit this morning like, I don't know, that sounds nice, but... You don't know what I'm bringing to the table, Jordan. There's some stuff. There's some stuff from my past. There's some stuff from, like, some things I've said, some things I've did, some things I've thought, some things I've believed. We're in great company then. This is the story of Saul. This is the story of Saul. There's stuff in his past. He was literally in direct opposition to the way of Jesus persecuting people for what they believed, throwing them in jail because he disagreed with them. But the good, news, uh, the good news of the grace of Jesus is there is no contingency on bringing a good resume to the table. It doesn't matter the things you have in your past. It doesn't matter the things you've thought, the things you've done, the things you've said, the things you've believed. All that matters is that you open up uh, with a heart full of surrender going, Jesus, I don't understand any of this, but I understand that you're good and I want some of that. I understand that I can't put my life together on my own and so I want you to help me with it. I need you to do it for me. I know it's really easy, though, in these moments of (coughs) surrender and trying to, to figure things out in this uh, form or fashion, I know it's really easy to be like, man, my past kind of precludes me from the work of the cross. My past precludes me from what God's wanting to do. And I think Jesus probably understood these uh, trepidations and this fear. Uh, and he says in John chapter 6, to answer exactly that, like you don't understand what I've got coming to the table. He says, "All the Father gives to me, all who those who the Father gives to me uh, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away." Another translation says, "I will never cast." We don't have to have any fear when we come to that encounter with Jesus of like, I hope he'll accept me. I hope he'll forgive me. He's already promised. I will never drive away. I'm reading a book right now with a few guys uh, from around here. 
and, and he gives this quote, and he's talking about this verse. The whole chapter was about this verse, and here's what it says. But uh, I am a great sinner, you say. Jesus responds, I will not cast you out. But I've been sinning for a long time, you say. Jesus responds, I will not cast you out. I am hard-hearted, wanting nothing to do with your ways, you say. And he says, I will not drive you away. But I've messed up even after receiving your grace, you say. Jesus responds with, I will not drive you away. But I've actively served Satan and been opposed to you, you say. Well, I will not cast you out or drive you away. But I've sinned against light, you say. And he responds with, I will not cast you out. But I've sinned against mercy, you say. And he responds with, I will not drive you away. But I have no good thing to bring with me, you say. And he responds, I will not drive you away. There is not a thing you could do that would ever cause the person of Jesus as you have that encounter to be repulsed by you, to be uh, ashamed of you. Instead, he is standing this morning ready for an encounter with wide open arms going, I love you, I love you, I love you. So how do you have an encounter with Jesus? I'm not meaning to be sarcastic. It's really pretty simple. You ask for it, go, Jesus, I'm putting this out there. I'm trusting that you will meet me in my desire. I can't piece the mess of my life together. I can't piece the goodness of my life together. I can't make sense of any of it, so I'm trusting that you will, and then you live for it. You live like uh, Jesus is who he says he is. And then I, I promise you, and, and I, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, and I believe he'll meet you in this space. Uh, and then watch your life transform. If you're on the fence this morning, if you're on the fence about the way of Jesus or, or, or who Jesus is, my encouragement to you is what do you have to lose? Go, Jesus, prove yourself to me. If you're really alive, if you've really conquered death, if you're really who you say you are, show me. And watch him prove himself faithful. So the invitation to Saul was to have an encounter with Jesus. Not church, not religion, not, not Jesus' followers, but to have an encounter with Jesus. And then the other invitation that we see, the invitation of Ananias, is really, really simple. And I think, I think Jesus' people in general, I think myself included, this is one of the ways that we need to grow the most. And the invitation extended to Ananias is not to rule people out as recipients of God's grace. I have a distinct memory uh, in fifth grade uh, on the playground. And every day we either played, I mean, grew up in Indiana, so we either played basketball, uh, and then if there was no snow out in the field, we'd play football. And I remember every kid in elementary school that plays playground football wants to be a, a skill position. Nobody wants to be an offensive lineman in playground football. That's just not, I mean, it's not something people are like, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I want to be the quarterback. And uh, I, was a, I was a bigger kid in, uh, in elementary school. I wore husky jeans, if that tells you anything. Um, I was a bigger kid. Not skill position material by any means. 
<laughs> and uh, I've got this distinct memory of this kid, and it was, it was really hurtful. I can look back now. I don't think it's so traumatizing that it affects me now. I've got this memory, though, of this kid named Jake, and he was like, I was like, no, Jake, let me be quarterback. And he was his, his, please, kids, please don't ever go say this to someone. It's very hurtful. But his response to me was, get on the line, Tubbo. And I was like, okay. I remember, like, again, this is an unsanctified part of me. Going to be real with you. I threw him on the ground, and I ran away crying. Uh, get on the line, Tubbo. Uh, but he looked at me <coughs> and discounted what I had to offer, which wasn't much. But discounted what I had to offer because of my size. He looked at me and, and wrote the entire story about me because of how I appeared on the outside. And friends, I am, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm fearful that far too often we as Jesus people do this for those who are maybe on the outside of our faith. Ananias does this in verses 13 and 14. Uh, and, uh, he has an encounter with Jesus, and, and, and God says, go to uh, go find Saul, and you're going to heal him. And Ananias' response is, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And we get this immense amount of trepidation and fear. He's just scared out of his mind going, I, don't th- I think I may be mishearing you, God. Surely you can't mean Saul of Tarsus, the one that's actively persecuting you, the one that's actively throwing people who follow you in jail. He remembers what Saul has done. He remembers how he and people he knows and people he loves have been actively hurt by the work of Saul. And and, and he goes, I don't know if this is exactly right. But I think the invitation to see people as recipients of God's grace might start with us instead of asking how we can divide uh, or draw distinct boundary lines around our lives. What if instead we ask questions like, in what ways are these people an image bearer of the divine? In what people are these, bringing, uh, are these people created and loved and cared for by God? Uh, if you go into my office sometime over here, which I would love to sit down with all of you, so please reach out to me. We can have a cup of coffee together. It'll be beautiful. But if you go into my office, you'll see a framed uh, picture. And, and the picture is, uh, it's not a picture. It's like a, a elementary school handwriting sheet with some really sloppy English on it. Uh, and I keep that in my office as a point of prayer to when I see it, I engage with prayer uh, and, and praying for people uh, of the Muslim community. Uh, I cut my teeth early on in ministry as a missions pastor, and one of the greatest joys that I had, ever had was leading mission trips up to Dearborn, Michigan. Dearborn, Michigan in the United States is the highest concentration uh, of people of the Muslim faith in the United States. It is, it is unreal. Uh, you go up there, and signs are in Arabic, and it's, it's an incredible thing. And there's an organization up there that uh, I was working with, um, and we would take teams up to, and... Uh, we would go and we'd help teach English as a second language class. And so I remember sitting down with this grown man and uh, there's his handwriting is in my office. And uh, we sat down and we were just basic English stuff, like stuff Hudson's learning, but that he could, uh, learning English, so that he could uh, 
acclimate himself to living in a new place. Some of these people move here for economic reasons. Some of them are running away from persecution. Uh, There's a myriad of reasons. But I remember I was on a trip in Dearborn, Michigan one time in the highest concentration of Muslim people in the United States. And uh, if you have ears or you've paid attention, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not an authority on this, but it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see how people of the way of Jesus talk about people uh, with brown skin, talk about people uh, who speak Arabic, talk about people who practice a different faith. Now, hear, hear me out. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. But it breaks my heart to see the hate that is sown. And so I was with a guy named Eric Grant. Eric is one of our elders at First Church. Heart for missions, heart for the nations. Loved him dearly. And he was leading a devotional one morning. And I remember the, uh, the scripture was, Our enemy is not of flesh and blood, but of powers and darkness and principalities. And Eric's, Eric's uh, conviction that he, that he shared with us that morning was, If... They have skin and bones. They are not our enemy. If they have skin and bones, they are not our enemy. There is not a person that you have ever met. There is not a person that you as a Jesus follower have ever seen on the news. There is not a person who... uh, who you will ever interact with that is too far for God's grace. This is countercultural, though, because uh, there is just division being sown left and right. So it's hard for us uh, to wrap our heads around. Maybe it's a, a coworker or, or a family or a friend that you've written off. And the way that you think about them and the way that you talk about them as a Jesus follower, you think about it, you go, you know what? That doesn't really honor uh, them, the reality that they're an image bearer of God. I see it often as we talk about people who are on the, the other side of the aisle from us politically. Man, the church has, has gone far to lose their witness in this area the way that we talk about people, and the way that we, we say, well, no, like we, we make fun of them, we ridicule them as if the blood of Jesus is not also an offering over their lives. This is countercultural to us, but this is what the resurrection sows inside of us, that we don't have to be like the world around us. For the resurrection to ring true in our lives, we have to live as though Jesus defeated that old way of living. And we need to allow a new way of living to be stirred up in us. If if we're going to hold this morning that the resurrection is true, brothers and sisters following Jesus, I want us to live then like it is true. I think about how jarring this would be. 
You're sitting around the water cooler. You're having a break. You go, did you catch so-and-so on the news? Or did you see this in the paper? Or could you believe so-and-so from over in accounting is, is like this? And you hear the conversation begin to stir in this way where they're just sowing discord and sowing division and acting like they are beyond the reach of God's grace. And in that moment, you have an opportunity to go, yeah, I've got my weaknesses too. I'm, I'm sure they're just trying their best, give them the benefit of the doubt, show them grace. You know, you know what they're great at? They just they they are always thinking about building community around the office, or, or they're always so kind. They write me a note on my birthday every year. Instead of finding the things that divide us, finding the things through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, finding the things that they're great at, finding the ways in which they have the distinct mark of their creator on them. Brothers and sisters, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, this will alone set you apart from our world around us that is constantly trying to rip apart and draw lines and divide. To not get wrapped up in the dialogue of hatred and division, but instead, as a resurrection people, as a people who have been transformed by the good news of Easter to allow ourselves to be conduits of God's grace. To go, you know what, I don't have my life together either. It's only by the grace of God that I'm standing and living and breathing. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I'm not going to let my speech be marked with hate and division and evil, but instead I'm going to allow it to be filled with grace and love and understanding as the Spirit allows. This is what it means to be a people transformed by the cross and the resurrection. That we're different. That we're different. That as we leave from this place, our public testimony, our public witness, is one that allows us to point towards the goodness. If we say Jesus is alive, if you post it on Facebook and Instagram today, and then do not live your life as such, something is wrong. Our lives should be ones marked by a transformation of the work of God. So can we for a moment just live lives that are ones of love? Live lives that are ones uh, of understanding like Ananias going, you don't know what he's done, you don't know how he's hurt me. Uh, And Jesus goes, no, I've, I've chosen him. He's my instrument. He's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He's going to take the gospel to the Jews. He's one. What if that person that you are absolutely just vitriolically spewing hate about, what if instead they are the very person that God is using uh, and stirring in their heart even now to, to bring revival to our world? On some level, it's difficult for us to engage in this. And then on some level, it's really easy because we just have to go, Holy Spirit, Jesus, transform me. Make me new. Have that insane encounter with the risen Jesus this morning that I was talking about earlier. So the invitation we see to Saul is to have an encounter with Jesus. To go, I can't make sense of church. I can't make sense of the world around me. But I, I, I think there's something about this Jesus guy. Let me have an encounter with him this morning.
And the invitation we see from Ananias is to live a life that assumes that no person that you interact with, no person that you see is beyond God's grace.